Can I say what a privilege it has been to be with you over this weekend? And I'd like to assure you of our ongoing prayers for your fellowship here, for your pastor, and for the testimony to the gospel. You're very precious to us. We thank God for you. And we pray the Lord will greatly prosper you in the coming days. Forgive us, we may have to be away quite quickly. We're driving back tonight. Tomorrow we've got to be up early as well. So we're not going to be spending too long after the service. Forgive us for that, but be assured of our prayers for you and our thankfulness for your fellowship and faithfulness. Well, in 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing a letter where he's seeking to address various problems in the Corinthian church. But one of the big problems that he has is these men who, if you like, like to look upon themselves as being super apostles. These men have come in after Paul has left, and they claim to be those who serve God. And they're really saying, don't listen to Paul. Don't listen to him. He's not really the man you should be looking to. We are the men now who have taken up his mantle, if you like, or have uh, taken over the work that God is doing. You need to listen to us. And they were claiming great things. It seems that these men, these super apostles, they were like modern health and wealth teachers. And they were saying, well, the Christian life, you know, really it should be a breeze. And if you were like us, you know, you wouldn't have trials, you wouldn't have difficulties. And uh, it's just sort of hallelujah and glory. That's all that there is to the Christian life. And if you've got trials and difficulties, well, there's something wrong with you. Well, Paul must now reluctantly boast. He doesn't like doing it, but he must boast so as to counter the claims of these men. He will not boast in his triumphs and his usefulness, which these men would boast in, but more he will boast in his sufferings. He'll speak of his sufferings, because this is more the mark of a true apostle. He's a man who Christ shows his power through by preserving him in deep trials as he pursues the ministry that God has given him. So Paul must now, he doesn't really want to, but he feels he has to, speak of the one whom the Lord has had his hand on and speak of some unique experiences that the Lord has given to him. He's in no way, you see, inferior to these men who claim to be superior. And yet, as ever, the end of his experience was not one which puffed him up didn't lead him to glory in himself, but it taught him his utter dependency upon God and his need to look to God humbly for his grace and for his strength. And so we look at verses 12 through to 10 tonight of that chapter we read, chapter 12, and our title is this, Remembering God's Purpose in Trials. Remembering God's Purpose in Trials. Now we've got four points. And our first is this, Paul's exaltation. Paul's exaltation. Verse 1, it's doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I'm loath to boast, says Paul. It's not really profitable. 
because you see it doesn't produce that which I desire. It's clear that Paul doesn't want his apostleship to be seen as one of a man who proclaims his own name. But I feel, however reluctantly, I must boast so as to help you Corinthians. And a particular area that I must speak on is of visions and revelations of the Lord. It does seem that these men were continually saying, well, we're receiving communications, we're receiving revelations from God. You get people like this today. Sadly, they say, well, the Lord told me to do this. And I saw this vision, I saw this particular thing. And the Lord has told me to do this. Though sometimes it's completely contrary to what the Lord has told us to do in his word. They were saying, well, the Lord speaks through us. Don't listen to Paul. Well, if you must know, says Paul, I have had visions. And I have had revelations. But I'm so unwilling to really let you know of this and so appear to be promoting myself that when I speak of them, I won't even say it's me who's had them. I'll speak about a man. I won't say it's me. And yet we know it's really him. We can work it out from verse 7 where he tells us that the abundance of what he received has to be balanced by that which God has brought into his life. He says, verse 2, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows such a one was caught up into the third heaven. Some 14 years ago, says Paul, this man knew such an experience, he was so overcome, he's still uncertain. Was I in the body or was I out of the body? His soul left his body. Had it left his body, or was it he'd been taken up to glory, both body and soul? Only God really knows, says Paul. Where did this man end up? As he had that vision, he was caught up into the third heaven, verse 3. He wasn't in the sky, the first heaven. He wasn't up with the stars, the second heaven. He was in the heaven that is beyond, where God dwells. The third heaven. Verse 3. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. He went to that place which was promised to the thief on the cross. Today you will be with me in paradise it was paradise the presence of God you see is paradise for the child of God what did he experience well he heard words that were so wonderful and exalted that he cannot even now put them into words I heard inexpressible words says Paul glory so covered him that his mind was left swamped with the sheer splendor of heaven, the presence of God. Friends, what a place heaven is for the child of God. I believe it exceeds even what the word of God can describe to us. It's so wonderful, it's so glorious. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard 
what God has prepared for those who love him. And you know, Paul's powers of language. Now, Paul had great ability with language. And yet he can't do justice to it. He cannot give proper expression to what he heard. And its effect, it's inexpressible, says Paul. And it's not lawful, really. It's not expedient that I should tell you what I heard. It was intended to be a comforting, a private revelation reserved for Paul himself so as to strengthen him for all that he would go through. And what's more, verses 5 and 6, of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities, for though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth, but I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears me, hears from me. Though I'll boast of this man's experiences to counter the false teachers, I refuse to boast in this way generally, says Paul, lest I become as foolish as they, lest I start to play their game. I'm happy, however, when pushed to speak the truth, not of my experiences and my victories, but to speak of my infirmities. But I refrain, says Paul, I hold back from doing this because I don't want to find people start putting me up on a pedestal and saying, oh, have you heard what Paul says? He's experienced. Some men like to be put on a pedestal, like to be looked up to, but Paul, no, he wanted all to glory in Christ. So you see, unless Paul had felt compelled to boast, to counter the boasting of these super apostles, unless he'd felt it was necessary... We would never have known of this, do you know? We would never have known of this experience that Paul had. We'd never have known of this exalted experience. Paul would have taken it to the grave. No man would have known. It's only because he feels he must boast to protect his beloved Corinthians that he now tells us of it. Well, having been so exalted... Paul must now speak of the way that God humbled him. Our second point, Paul's humbling. Paul wants to be clear here that though, yes, he'd known much by way of God's power, God's blessing, with all this, God had given him much by way of trials. Paul says, verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, had so many revelations from God. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, we'll see this in a minute, that God had a purpose in all this. But notice what Paul says, firstly. It was given to him. Who gave it to him? God gave it to him. And you know... God is sovereign over all things, and especially in the lives of his people. We know that God allows the devil to play his part in certain trials. We see that clearly in the book of Job. And here Paul can see a satanic influence here, a messenger of Satan. The way the trial has come or the way the devil sought to use it. But we must remember the devil can do nothing without God's allowance. 
It's a simple lesson, isn't it? But it's one we can forget. It's a thing we need to remind ourselves first and foremost. If we're to have any comfort, really, we must remember the first cause in all things. God has ultimately put us where we are. God has allowed this thing to come upon us. We might question why God has allowed it. But something we almost always must remember, God has allowed it for some purpose. God has so ordered it that he was struck with this thorn in the flesh. What was it? What was this thorn? Well, to be honest, I don't think this side of glory we can say definitely what it was. There are men today who, like these Philippian believers, they say, well... It was most probably something which was due to sin or a lack of faith. Don't think that can be so. Paul doesn't suggest that it was in any way something which was a chastening for sin. God was using it, obviously, to keep him humble. But it wasn't something which was the result of sin. And it wasn't something, I believe, which also was due to a lack of faith. Some have said, well, it was a messenger of Satan. Perhaps it was a temptation. But I don't think that fits all that we have here. I think it's undeniable that it was some sort of physical affliction that hindered Paul's ministry. Later, he lumps it in with other things which refer to infirmities and distresses. I think the closest we get to is in Galatians 4, where Paul speaks there, He says, verse 13, You know that because of my physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at first, and my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. They so loved him when he first went there. They're willing even, as it were, to... Here you are, Paul, you can't see very well. Paul, you have our eyes. This man had seen that blinding light on the Damascus Road. He'd been blinded. may well be that, as a result, he had a weakness which hindered him, affected his appearance, and caused him difficulty. We can't join all the dots... We may have to wait till heaven, but it's clear that this trial was a real difficulty for Paul. He found it very hard. Perhaps it was a messenger of Satan because though it wasn't some temptation, it would cause Paul to be tempted to despair at times, to despair. Satan would try and use it to discourage him. Paul found it so difficult that three times he pleaded with the Lord. The word there is very strong. He beseeched the Lord. He begged the Lord, please remove this from me. Paul wanted the Lord to take it away. And notice it wasn't wrong for Paul to ask the Lord to remove this trial in his flesh. It's never wrong for God, uh, for us to ask God to heal us or deliver us from some infirmity or some circumstance. And you know, we still believe in a God who heals We serve a God who heals, not through some faith healer or some miracle worker or someone who claims to be an apostle, but in answer to prayer. And you know, we've known many instances 
where Christians have been prayed for and the doctors have been dumbfounded, absolutely dumbfounded. They've not been able to explain how it has happened that this person who's been diagnosed and showing certain symptoms has suddenly been freed from them. We know why it's happened. It's because we've, as a church, we've prayed for them. The people of God have prayed for them. And as a result, God has answered. And God has worked. God is still a God who heals his people as he chooses. Our trials can be very hard. They can weigh upon us. They can wear us down. We find them difficult. It's never wrong to ask God to take these things from us. We see that even with Christ, don't we? The Lord Jesus. It was not wrong for him to ask three times that the cup be taken from him. Paul, in many ways here, is copying his Lord who asked God to remove that cup. Yet such is God's plan that he here decided he would not take this thing away in this particular instance. Though Paul pleaded, it was not removed. It wasn't that God didn't answer his prayer. God answered his prayer. But his answer was no. I'm hearing of a Sunday school outing and a little girl was going on the outing and she went home to her unbelieving grandfather and she said, we're having a Sunday school outing next week and we prayed for good weather. The outing came and it tipped it down. And she went home and the grandfather said, there you are, God didn't answer your prayer. She said, yes, he did. He said, no. And so here, God says no in this particular instance. Why was that? He said no, but he did give an answer. He gave an answer to Paul as to why it was. Thirdly, God's use of Paul's difficulty. Paul said, unless I should be exalted above measure, by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. The apostle knew these great revelations that were being given to him. He was a mouthpiece of God, wasn't he? The letters that he wrote, the understanding that he had, the mysteries that were revealed to Paul. And there was a need to keep Paul humble. God's priority, you see, is not just to see Paul exercising his ministry. He's also concerned to keep Paul walking closely with him. I can remember once seeing a helium balloon. And it was one of these children's helium balloons. And sadly, somebody had let it go. And there it was, right up in the sky, charging across the sky, and with the family looking up rather forlornly that this helium balloon had lost its weight. We can be like that. We know blessings, we know good things which God gladly gives us. And yet sometimes we need a bit of ballast to keep us down. And sometimes God gives us that ballast through the trials, the circumstances we find ourselves in. You see, God was aware that such privileges, if Paul were to have these alone, without the counterbalance, then it could easily lead to spiritual pride and drifting from God. 
You see, the Christian life is one which knows the greatest of blessings that a man or woman can know. All the blessings that we have. Forgiveness of sins, every sin, peace with God, the fellowship of God, the fellowship of Christ, the love of Christ, the love of God, the work of the Spirit in our hearts, purpose in life, serving the Lord, doing the Lord's will, growing in grace and godliness, the certain hope, the comfort that the Lord is with us in all things. We know where we're going. The best is yet to be, paradise will be ours in the presence of the Lord. And yet, you know, it's not a life of all ease and hallelujahs. We, through much tribulation, will inherit the kingdom of God. And you see, God has ordered it that every Christian faces things which are difficult. Because, you see, as with Paul, God's concern, first concern, is our relationship with him. And that we are close to him. By allowing that thorn to remain, God had a wonderful plan and purpose. God wanted Paul kept near to him. He didn't want him sort of drifting away like a helium balloon. He wanted him close to him. He didn't want him sort of exalted and proud and flying away from God, getting away from God. God was using it to keep him close, to humble him. And God was using it as well to teach Paul. To teach Paul something he may well have not learnt unless God had put him through it. Amazing. Even the Apostle Paul had to be taught throughout his Christian life. He didn't get converted on the, converted on the Damascus Road, and there he was, he was the finished article. No, right to the end of his days, the Lord had to teach him. He says, doesn't he, elsewhere, I have learned. I have learned. In whatever state, to be content. You see, Paul was never out of Christ's school. And you know, we to our dying day will never be out of the school of Christ. He will ever be teaching us. We'll ever be learning. We can never exhaust all the lessons that God has for us as the people of God. And here he can see, you see, this refusal to take away that thorn in the flesh was that God was teaching him another very important lesson. Why didn't he remove that thorn? God made it clear, didn't he? Verse 9, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. God was not going to take away the thorn, but God was going to do something. God was going to give Paul the grace and the strength to bear it. The inexhaustible, wonderful grace of God will enable Paul to bear and cope with that thorn. So you see, Paul was being taught here his dependency all the more on God, how dependent he was on God. We know that Paul may have had to especially learn this lesson. What zeal he had. There in the noonday sun, pursuing Christians. He was a man of natural zeal, natural intensity. He may well have especially have had to learn this lesson, that he needed to be dependent upon God. God will now, uh, Paul will now have to look to God day by day, every day, look to God for the strength, for the grace, the weakening, the frustrating effects of that thorn, 
will be overruled as Paul looks to God. As Paul stays close to God. Think of a husband and wife, can't we? The wife may do many things for the husband and the husband many things for the wife, but hopefully there's more to their relationship than just that. They relate to each other. They have a relationship with each other. They spend time with each other. And so you see with the Lord, God doesn't just want us to be doing things for him. He delights when we're concerned to serve him. But he wants us to do those things by his strength, by his power, in dependency upon him. He wants us to hold his hand. He wants us to walk with him as we do those things. He saves us so he might have a relationship with us where we look to him, we see our need of his help, we see our need of his grace, we seek to do things by his strength and to his glory. And you see, God will order it that things come into our lives, which he may not deal with immediately, he may not take away, but in all that he wants us to learn our utter dependency upon him, the fact that we can look to him, We can trust him that we're in a relationship with him and he wants us close to him. He wants us to hold his hand. He wants us to look to him for strength and for grace day by day. Paul says, verse 9, Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ might rest upon me. How different again he was, wasn't he, to these false apostles? God's power is sort of seen, they say, in these sort of great things, these sort of fleshly things. No, says Paul, it's in our weakness. It's in our weakness we're given the grace, we're given the strength. It's in our weakness that we prove the power of God. And many will realise it's only because of God's grace as they look at us that we're enabled to cope. They see the power of God at work in us. In the end, Paul tells us he's now able to do something which he couldn't do at first. Our fourth point, accepting God's wisdom. Accepting God's wisdom. Verse 10, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says he's now able to rejoice in that which he once resented, that which he wanted to be freed from. Because he can see God's purpose in the trial that he was under. He could see that God was using this for his greater good and for his own glory, to show his own glory. It's amazing this, you see this with the people of God. You see somebody, for a long time, they've had a great difficulty, a great trial. And yet they've humbled themselves and they've been prayerful. The Lord may yet remove it, but for the time being he hasn't. And yet when you meet them, you see there's a greater dependency, a greater trust in the Lord. There's a joy, there's a contentment in the Lord. You see the power of God there, giving them the strength, giving them the grace that they need. It's a wonderful testimony. 
And yet you also see an acknowledgement of how the Lord has blessed the time to them and that they've been much more aware of his presence. They've had to look to the Lord more. They've had to be close to the Lord, to know his strength, to know his grace. They've been driven to the Lord to look to him day by day for his help and for his strength. You see, the thorn has produced a flower. The flower of closeness to God. An evident grace, a dependency upon God, the strength that God has given them. What a wonderful thing the Lord has done in their lives, even through that which can seem so negative. We will all face difficulties and trials as the Lord's people. How should we respond? Well, firstly, like Paul, let us acknowledge God has allowed it. God has allowed it in his wisdom. That's where we must first start. No peace will come unless we accept that God, in his wisdom, has allowed this thing. Secondly, we can ask God to take it away, like Paul did. We can pray that the Lord would remove it, and eventually he might. But if he doesn't, we should remember the lesson that Paul was taught. God will give us the grace. He'll supply us with the grace that we need to bear with that thing. And the reason he leaves it is that really he wants us to depend on him. He wants us to look to him. He wants a closer relationship with us. He's using this to drive us to him, to draw us all the more to him. So he can show his power in our weakness and strengthen us in our weakness. And what's the more it's causing us all the more to look to him for his grace... He wants us to do things by his grace, by his strength and for his glory. There's an amazing verse in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 11. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 11. Paul says this to the Colossian Christians, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power. You think, wow, Paul's praying this for those Colossian Christians. What, what is it going to be? They're going to be strengthened with all might, according to God's glorious power. You know, what's going to happen? Paul says this, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering, with joy all patience and long suffering with joy that's where we see the power of God that's where we see the glorious power the might of God upholding a believer in their circumstances in their trials just like Paul proving the grace of God knowing the Lord's help and strength even when we're not being tried, even when we're not knowing these things which cause us all the more to cling to God, let us learn the lesson. Let us be those who are reminded that God wants us to look to him even in the good times, as well as in the more difficult. He wants us to know his grace. He wants us to be dependent upon him. Oh, this God loves us. He wants us for himself. He's loved us each individually. He cares for us. He numbers the hairs of our head. 
He wants us for himself. He wants us to be dependent upon him and looking to him, even in the good times, as well as in the more difficult. He wants you for himself. He wants that deepening relationship with you. But perhaps tonight you aren't the Lord's. You know assurance you are the Lord's. Perhaps you're going through a trial. Perhaps you will face a trial. You're not the Lord's, but eventually you will face a trial. None of us are free from trials. Have you ever thought that in that trial, God is showing you your need of him? That really this life can offer us nothing by way of true peace and security as we thought this morning? We're all subject to the trials of life. In the end, we must face the greatest trial as we leave this world. Have you humbled yourself? Have you acknowledged your need of God's mercy, God's grace, God's salvation? May we all be those who know what it is to truly know the Lord. And so be those who can be reassured that even in the trials of life, we can see that there is this one who is using even this in his purposes, one who loves us, God who's, uh, God who's working all things out for his wisdom. He's enabling us all the more to prove his grace and to be close to him, be driven to him all the more. Come what may, whether it's times of ease or times of trial, as the Lord's people, may we have a deeper walk with the Lord, realising that's what he always desires. How amazing. He is our God. We are his people. He loves us. He wants us for himself. May we realize the wonder of that and may we want him in return and seek to walk closely with him, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, until ultimately we're brought home to that true home, that wonderful home, Emmanuel's land, where we shall ever be with the Lord in that place of glory, that place which is paradise for the true child of God. May the Lord help us, strengthen us each one until that day. For his name's sake we pray. Amen.